everyone. I'm Dr. Rachel Lupian. And I'm Dr. Stephanie Sparrow. Our climate is in crisis, and we all want to help, but we might not know how. We're talking to people who have figured out how to use their talents to combat climate change in the hopes that their journey might inspire your own. This is How We Got Here, because the Earth needs professional help. Oh, hey, Steph. Oh, no. Oh, Oh, no, no. we're going to do it anyway. (laughs) We're going to push through. Let's record a podcast while you are sick. Okay, great. (laughs) Uh, Here we are. Well, anyway, you can hear pretty much how my week has gone. (laughs) (laughs) I haven't seen you in days. In so many days. Um, Let's leave my bad for later because you can hear my bad. Uh, what, What happened to you this week? That was good. Yeah, I mean, I actually had a, I mean, maybe I say this every week, I had a good week. <laughs> that's a good thing. I think we should, that's good. That's yeah, good. yeah. Um, I got a couple, like, bites on job applications, which was exciting. Super exciting. I also, like, kind of more importantly, like, took over um, on one of the instruments that I use in lab, and nobody is around this week, but I did it all by myself. And when you say took over. Like, it was my turn to run samples. Oh, okay. It had been down for a while, though, so I had to... You had to uh, kick it back into life. Kick it back into, Yeah. Put some life back into it, and I just, like, did it by myself. Like, everyone's gone. (laughs) I also showed up to work today, and there was literally nobody there. Because we got off for voting day. Election day. Election day. Voting. I voted. Did you vote? I I did. Obviously voted. It's Virginia. It's terrifying. Podcast listeners, two seconds. My (laughs) sister. What are you doing? What team are you on? Your sister's there? (laughs) Yeah. You don't see her in the background? No. Hi, Sam. (laughs) Um, any tea that will help my throat. This is not being cut out. <laughs> oh, I'll tell you about my, okay. This will be my good and my bad in the same time. My sister's here, which is lovely. Yay. Um, oh my God. We love so, sisters here on how we got here. We do love sisters. We're a pro sister. Um, no, speaking to voting, it, I live in Virginia. I needed to vote. It's yeah. terrifying here. Um, but Theodore was so sick. I mean, like when is, I was thinking... When we had initially talked about this back and forth, Rachel, we were like, I think it's really good to normalize failure, normalize reduction of papers, normalize submitting stuff. And I was like, oh, I don't have this because I do not have the bandwidth to apply for anything. (laughs) So I can't get rejected from things I don't apply for. Yeah, I mean, my bad thing this week is honestly that I still haven't heard back on that paper. (laughs) So it's like, yeah, maybe no news is good news, but I don't think so. (laughs) There was... Uh, one of my like mentors at Dartmouth would always say, "No news is no news," and it was the most frank, frustrating thing of all time. Wait, his um, name was Frank, or it was his name frank? was Frank. Oh, no, oh, he, he oh. was Frank well, also. Okay. His name was Frank. He was Frank. <laughs> um, no, but my son was so sick last week. But my mom hopped on a plane. She, I called her, and within twenty minutes, she was driving no. to Logan Airport. No. Yeah, so she was here to help us out. She was like, would have. I don't need to pack. I got. I gotta I go. Mean, My daughter we, needs me. Yeah, we had to pick up some meds for her at CVS. <laughs> and then Chris's parents were here. That was planned beforehand. And then my sister oh, also planned beforehand. But it's we so live many in a visitors. little. So many visitors. It's been nice. It's really nice. Um, and my sister just brought me tea because I obviously have 
got whatever I got whatever he had. What what does uh, she think of the podcast? I don't that's a great Should question. Should we get her on here? No. <laughs> the, but like a great thing, Rachel, our podcast, we released it into the wild this week. Yes. Very exciting. Uh, we had lots of cool colors and designs from Anna at Palindrome Creative Co. Thanks, Anna. Shout out to Anna, who is the loveliest person to ever work yeah. with. And if you are in the Richmond area and need oh. a graphic designer, steal her. Um, also, Steph should be a professional website designer because our website looks sweet check it out at h w wait h w w g g t h oh my god (laughs) how we got here pod.com but with the letters but oh god we'll figure it out link in bio um i think one thing i want to do every week rachel also just to like toot her own horn is to read um a review we get from a fan and I'm all for it. Okay. We have lots of fans, so. At least three, because I have three <laughs> quotes already. Uh, this one is from Matt Jerem, and he said about our podcast, lasted the perfect amount of time for me to buy ingredients and prep a lasagna. Oh, my God. What a treat, Matt. That's a, a delightful review. Also, what we were going for. We're like, how yeah. long does it take to cook a lasagna? I mean, honestly, it would take me a very long time. I've never cooked a lasagna before. Is that my bad thing of the week? Admitting no. that I've never cooked a lasagna? I don't know. Seems like a lot. <laughs> it's a lot of layers. Um, I've rambled so much. It is election day. We're both thrown <laughs> off. We're really hoping for the... I'm hoping for the best in Virginia. You can what hear a, my voice. Yeah. Another good bad thing that happened yeah. this week is yeah. that I found out I got like a little first round 30 minute interview. And then I found out that my interview would be in less than 24 hours. <laughs> But she crushed it. <laughs> so I'm exhausted. But it went fine. It went just fine. Hey. It went fine. I will say I, there is no one who walks away from a Zoom interview and was like, I killed it. No <laughs> yeah. one. Because they you can't. They can't. They don't respond. They don't react to what you're saying. You're not even really getting nods. Very. Um, um, there's yeah. also so little time because usually 30 minutes long. They're like, yeah. we got to get these questions in. It's yeah. awful. Anyway, what are we doing this week? I am so excited for our guest. He's such a big deal, and I don't know why he said yes to us. (laughs) This is our first guest who we just kind of contacted out of the blue, right? And like, yes. Like, we have no connection. I have no one whose name (laughs) and an email. I can be like, hey, this person told me to. Could not name drop. But Um, said yes right away. I will also point out, I do, well, I'm just going to read his bio because he's amazing, and I'm going to like fangirl out. Um... So Craig Santos Perez is on our podcast today. He is a native Chamorro from the Pacific Island of Guam. He's authored five books of poetry and among many other awards has won the Penn Center Literary Prize for Poetry, the American Book Award. What? And the Ho- yeah, American Book Award. And the Hawaii Literary <laughs> Arts Council Elliot Cade's Literary Award, which is the biggest award you could win in Hawaii. He also, biggest literary award, maybe the biggest award too. I- Screw I mean, Iron I can't Man. Name Doesn't any matter. Other awards. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> he became the first Native Pacific Islander to receive a Lannan Foundation Literary Fellowship for Poetry. And you can find his work not only in his books, but also in Slate, The Atlantic, Vice, The Guardian, BBC, and most importantly, I sign it in my classes. I don't know. Mm. Um, if you can't tell, I think he's kind of a big deal. I. So, uh, the question remains, why did he say yes? <laughs> how did he get here? How, so we, how does, did he get here? <laughs> Craig is a poet, editor, publisher, critic, artist, environmentalist, 
and political activist. And if you cannot tell, we are so excited to have him on. Welcome, Craig. Um, Craig, welcome again. Thank you for being here. Rachel and I were taken aback. You said yes to <laughs> us, and we're very grateful for your time. Yes. Um, so, Craig, what do you do? What's your job title? Do you have a business card? What's, what's on that <laughs> business card? <laughs> I don't have a business card, but I'm a professor in the English department at the University of Hawaii at Manoa, and I teach creative writing, Pacific literature, and environmental poetry. Because, okay, wow. <laughs> that's so much. That is so far afield from what we do. Yeah. And that's why we're really, so when we ask questions that make no sense, I feel like that's not a question that makes sense <laughs> to me. <laughs> so, okay, if you were in line at CVS, does... I was okay. about to ask if Hawaii had a CBS. Okay, okay. There's no Dwayne Reed's yeah, No, Dwayne Reed, right. <laughs> That's my state. Um, yeah, so if, if someone behind you asked you what you what you worked on, what would you tell them in a bit more, you know, explanation? Usually if I'm in a casual situation around <laughs> strangers, uh, I usually just say I'm, I'm a like, teacher. Please stop talking to me. <laughs> <laughs> I, I usually just say I, I teach writing. Reading and writing, keep it simple. And if they're interested, then I'll, I'll tell them a bit more about what exactly I teach and, and the subject matters. So you don't lead with that you're a poet. Cause the way I discovered you was Craig Santos Perez, climate change poet. Hmm. That's my business card for you. That's not fair. <laughs> <laughs> That's, I, I am a poet as well. It's, it's more my, my passion than my occupation. Gotcha. And so um, usually if I tell people I'm a poet standing in line at the pharmacy, though, they'll, they'll usually run away. <laughs> <laughs> or will they be like, oh, like Edgar Allan Poe, because it's the only poet they can name. <laughs> Shel Silverstein. Oh, Shel Silverstein. <laughs> Shakespeare, boy, Shakespeare. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, so I usually don't lead with that, but definitely, you know, I, I do teach poetry, and it is my, my main art form, and and my first love. That is awesome. I teach your poems in class. I've said that 17 times, so I'll stop <laughs> Craig, on a day-to-day -day basis, what do you actually, actually do? If we were to come to Hawaii, which we will invite our Can we come no to Hawaii? Yeah. <laughs> More than welcome. OK, great. Um, what do you act, how, what would we find you doing? When I picture poets and not professors, I picture them sitting with the quill, perhaps, mm. uh, because I obviously haven't taken an English class since high school. <laughs> uh, but you're a professor, so you're definitely just in meetings 90% of the day, I feel mm. like. <laughs> Don't remind me. Uh, yeah, on a day-to-day -day basis, you know, I, I teach my classes, have faculty meetings, uh, mentor the graduate students that I work with. I have two kids, age four and seven, so they keep me busy, and they've been home a lot, too much during the pandemic. Um, so really when I, when I get to write poetry, maybe it's when the kids are, are sleeping at the end of the day, or if I have an off day from teaching, I'll, I'll try to sneak in some poetry time. Uh, but it is, at least in this point in my life, is trying to find time for poetry. Um, 
And of course, with, with climate change, it's, it's become more urgent and important for me to, to find that time so I can uh, address these issues. That is just such a great lead into our next question, which is how does your work address climate change? Yes, such an important question for me. Uh, poetry has been a space where I can really reckon with my my own anxieties and, and worries about the, the changing climate, especially here in the Pacific. Uh, we've been seeing a lot of uh, much more frequent and stronger storms, hurricanes. Uh, we've had record temperatures every year uh, leading up to like the 90s mid-90s where it usually never got that hot before. Of course, there are other issues like rising sea levels and, and coral bleaching and so on. And so it feels really present and urgent here in Hawaii. And the poems have been you know, the kind of space where I can write about these issues to, to cope with them and to also um, kind of articulate my own feelings about our relationship to the environment and what we can do to change. That is so beautiful. I love, I teach two of your, I teach, I make my students, I'm not an English teacher. <laughs> we'll throw that in. I teach how the winds move because of physics, but I make my students, I teach this class, I think I told you this beforehand, I teach this class weather, climate, and society because I think these students in these physical science classes tend to forget the, the society part. Mm. And I'm like, no, there are all these other cool things. So... I'm forced them to read, but they actually love it. 13 Ways of Looking at a Glacier. And, um, oh man, I'm going to mess up the name. Love it. It's not Love in the Time of Climate Change. Your yes. play on Pablo Neru. Is that it? Did love in the Time of Climate Change. Oh, I did it. Oh my God. Beautiful. <laughs> and I think they're just really important to see, for my students to see other ways of articulating their anxieties and fears and processing that too. And I think that's really important. So I, I will ask you to read one likely at the end if that's okay and we'll link to your whole your whole thing but craig what was your first job were you a 15 year old poet i don't were you i don't even know what, what was your first job were you i'm gonna stop paint guessing a picture. jobs paint a picture <laughs> what were you wearing did you have a what? uniform do you have those awesome glasses <laughs> uh, i was 15 years old during my first job and I was, I was born and raised on, on the island of Guam, which is in the Western Pacific. But when I was 15 years old, my, my family migrated to California. And so they were like, you got to get a job and start a new high American school. American way. And <laughs> get your driver's license and, and do all this. And so my first ever job was at Little Caesars Pizza. <laughs> pizza wow. Real. Pizza, pizza. All right. So okay. I had Here's a uniform, smelled like pizza every night. An apron. And, yeah. and an apron. And I quit after two weeks because I couldn't <laughs> stand it. And then oh, man. I got a job at, at Ross uh, Department Store. Instead. Ross Dress for Less. <laughs> exactly. Is that Ross? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, okay, those are both amazing first jobs. I, I grew up eating uh, Little Caesars and absolutely loved it. And nobody else in my family did. And I had it recently and was like, oh, my God, this is terrible. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh no! It's a square pizza, isn't it? No, it's a, is it yeah. square? It's not square, it's, but it's oh, very okay. like card cardboardy. It's like rubbery. It's rubbery. Oh. It's not very good. <laughs> All 
right. Well, it sounds like at 15 not, It's minutes, not because of you. Yeah. No. <laughs> you weren't cooking the pizza. But, like, way to be like, I'm out of this. I'm going to go to Ross. I love it. Where? How did you go from Ross just yeah, after West <laughs> to, did you go into writing first? Is that what you, and then move to faculty? Or were there interludes in between? Well, as a... As an undergrad, I, I did study literature and, and art, and then I decided to pursue a, a master's of fine arts degree uh, in creative writing. And so I really fell in love with, with the genre and was writing a lot of poetry. Uh, was mainly writing a lot about my culture and my, my homeland as a kind of way to, to be a little bit less homesick. And so uh, I ended up writing my my first book as my master's thesis project and uh, was teaching for was teaching uh, around that time as well. I've, I've always also loved teaching. And so uh, with those two uh, experiences, I decided to get a PhD, which is was kind of a <laughs> dumb. We know. <laughs> no, no, we know. We know what you're about to say. Yeah. <laughs> and so I, I ended up getting a, a PhD in, in ethnic studies. And so I was interested, it kind of came about through my writing and, and I started becoming more interested in uh, Pacific Islander uh, history, culture, and politics. And that was what I was writing about and I wanted to study it more deeply. Can I That's... ask two follow-up questions? Um, mm -hmm. The first being, when, when you were in high school, working at Ross, Dress for Less, did you were you were English classes your thing? Did you sort of go into college knowing I'm going to be an English major? Or did you sort of find that along the way? I was definitely, yes, in high school, the English classes were my favorite. I had really awesome teachers. And I think in some ways, because I was a new student in school, um, that it was also kind of a refuge for me, uh, reading and uh, just kind of learning, you know, I kind of learned so much about the U.S. through the literatures I was being taught. And so for me, that was really exciting. And so uh, that was kind of what encouraged me to then study literature in, in college as well. Was there any book or poet or author that was particularly formative? Or I don't yeah. know. I've read yeah. a lot of Jane Eyre. Nice, nice. Uh, for me, it was was Toni Morrison. It was oh, really that's influential. much better. Uh, <laughs> uh, Gabriel Garcia Marquez was also really influential, and a poet uh, named Jack Gilbert, who's an older American poet, passed away a few years ago. Hmm. So those are kind of like what the books I was taught in high school that really, again, made me fall in love with literature. Yeah, I think Rachel and I have talked about this a little bit. The sort of where we what we ended up gravitating to in high school sort of did already start to dictate yeah. our career path. And then I have a different so my mom emigrated here when she's in her twenties from Portugal. So I've sort of felt I don't have the same affinity from the Azores actually, not even Portugal, like a small oh, island nation in the middle uh -huh. of the Atlantic. Um, but I, I am sort of obsessed in a way that I don't really have that much ownership of, but like the culture and the heritage. And do you think move when, how old were you when you moved away from Guam? I was 15. Oh, so you were 15 when you moved. And yeah. then it was immediately 15 by Guam. Hello, Little Caesars. 
Yeah, and I was a sophomore, a sophomore in high school. That's such an important time. That's such a really, it's an interesting, it's a hard time to move, I think. It was. My parents, I was mad at them for for a little bit because I wanted to finish high school and graduate with my friends and all that. But uh, sadly, it wasn't my choice. Oh, I, what, how could that be your choice? <laughs> Let's leave and go to California and force me to work at Little Caesar. Do you think that move, like, sort of having been not forced away, but, like, literally placed away, do you think that forced, really focused your engagement? And do you see differences in climate change in your hometown of Guam than you did mm-hmm. in California, than you do in Hawaii? And how does that all speak to what you do now? Great question. Sorry, yeah, that wasn't in the pre-question. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I love it. Um, no, definitely, I think migrating during that time for me was was somewhat traumatic, um, and you know, trying to adjust to a new life in a, a larger city, and you know, to try to make friends and all that. That really did make me, like I said, feel homesick, and I think emotionally, um, I needed. Like I said, uh, I needed a refuge and a place where I can try to uh, cultivate my memories and hold on to them in a way. And so that's what led me to to literature, as I said, and, you know, reading other about other people, other authors writing about their own cultures and homelands and experiences really did inspire me to want to write about my own uh, home island as well, since there there hasn't been a lot of literature from Guam and of course there was no like Pacific Islander literature taught in schools in California at that time and so a lot of that did encourage me to start writing and you know today with climate change at least the past maybe seven years it's been a more prevalent topic in my work because as I said it's become more prevalent just in our lives and around us in the weather itself and so uh, poetry has once again become a refuge for me uh, this time to deal with with something uh, you know that's happening not only in the Pacific but globally as well. So okay, so you you emigrated and then worked at Little Caesars and Ross Dress for Less, which yeah. I'm learning all these slogans now. Thank you, Steph. <laughs> um, that's in my head. I don't know. Is it Ross like behind? yeah? No, I, yeah, I remember it. Now. Um, and then, so you, you fall in love with creative writing in college, go get your MFA and then PhD, then then what? Did you go then, back to back to back? Were you oof. like high school, college, boom, MFA, boom, let's boom. do it. Or did you have jobs <laughs> in between all of those things? I had, I went straight from high school to college. Okay. And then I took two years off between uh, undergrad and, and master's program. What did and you do? I did too. <laughs> I was I did not work at Little Caesars. <laughs> what about Ross? Do they want you back? I, <laughs> uh, no, thankfully. But <laughs> I, I was I was teaching basically. Oh, okay. Um, I I taught middle school for a year. I did some oh, substitute nice. teaching. I I did some adjunct uh, teaching for creative writing courses. Middle school is rough. My husband I, used to, or you love really, it, I don't know. I I did like it, but I was like fifth grade, so, and then sixth grade, so it was still a little bit on the younger side. Yeah, of that yeah. Spectrum. 
But that's like where they're like starting to, your bodies are starting to change. And I just feel like it's a hot mess of like hormones. And I don't know. I don't know. I have, you have two kids. I have a, I have a one-year-old and Rachel and I are all like, we're, I'm from a family of girls. Rachel's from a family of girls. I went to an all girls high school. I have a boy. I'm like, what do I, I don't, I don't want to do any of this. <laughs> so wait till sixth grade. I don't, I'm, a, I'm terrified. But, <laughs> but you liked middle school? I like middle school. I, I did teach, uh, I'd substitute for a year at an elementary school as well, which probably I love the most. Nice. Uh, they're really, it's a really fun age. And yeah. They're really excited about language arts too. And so that was fun. Uh, but so basically was doing teaching. And then I had a year between my MFA and PhD. Were you also teaching? You've been teaching the whole time? I was teaching during that time as well. How do you, for the listeners, I think teaching is sort of something that is a, is a, is a thing that people really like doing. And it's sort of, you know, every grade and every sector sort of needs these teachers. And so I think it's a job that a lot of people look to. How did you find that job, like logistically? Yeah, <laughs> or good one of them? Well, I, during my undergrad, I was uh, a TA as far as my, my work study scholarship. And so I got to kind of be in the classroom with professors and, and help them uh, with the courses. Uh, while I was a college student, I was also uh, doing after-school tutoring. And so I would just send my application to uh, a bunch of tutoring centers near mm. my university and was lucky to get a few gigs that way. Um, similarly, during my MFA, I also got a scholarship, a, a GA-ship. And so I was a graduate a student instructor uh, for a couple of years. And similarly, when I moved to that city in San Francisco, uh, I kind of did the same thing, just put my application in yeah. uh, to a couple uh, after-school learning centers as well as uh, into some some private schools because um, they didn't need as much accreditation in terms of teaching at, at public schools. And same with, with being a substitute teacher, I just submitted my application to a few schools that I knew were in the area. And uh, at that time, it was... There was more of a need for, for teaching at least. It, it didn't seem difficult uh, for me to find gigs and, and to get hours in that way. And I did the same thing when I started adjuncting um, at community colleges at first, just sent in my, my application, my, my CV, and got a few call, callbacks uh, during that time. That's awesome. That's great. Like life advice to know yeah. to just put your application out there but yeah. like actually like, just like oh so you just people. apply for jobs and got those jobs yeah. but like cold but like some of it was a cold call right you yeah. just were like do i have yep. a need um as someone who for some reason my university did not require me to take an english class in college which is actually insane mine didn't either wow what and we went to liberal arts schools yeah. isn't that Crazy. dumb ours didn't have any distribution requirements i I like regret yeah. it to this day. Like, I'm a terrible my... writer. <laughs> <laughs> I mean it. Um, I do. I disagree with it. Um, I'm very bad. <laughs> <laughs> but I have two questions. One, when I picture, I have fac. I have faculty colleagues in English, but like I don't know how you teach 
English, like, or any, not English, but like literature, any of it. I'm like, when I, so Craig, when we read your piece, this is what I do. And you can say, here are all the things that are wrong with this approach. (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, annotate some of this. Leave your, just read the poem, write two or three reflections. And we come, and then that's before class. And then we come into class and I know they've read it because I've read their stuff. And then I'm like, hey guys, what did you think? And then it's silence. And in that silence that I sit in for like a minute, I think to myself, you just stare them down. And is this what literature, like, what happens in actual classes? Do they just respond? <laughs> so if you could give me any advice, my any students would appreciate step. it. I would appreciate it. <laughs> sure, that's a, that's a fun question. <laughs> Well, in my classes, you know, I definitely will have have the students read aloud the works. I, I love hearing oh. hearing literature read, and I think that that way the students could kind of hear, listen to to the rhythm and the sound, and maybe they pick up certain uh, cadences or, or other lines from from hearing it. And so we'll do that, and then of course we'll um, discuss. Uh, you know some of the the literary devices throughout the work whether it's it's metaphor or symbol or imagery and so on and if it's a historical piece we'll of course talk about you know the the political historical and cultural context of the particular author or, or the poem or novel that we're discussing and now for me it's different because i teach it through the lens of creative writing so then we'll also talk about craft, like how are these stanzas structured or why do you think the poet breaks their lines in these ways? Um, and then I'll usually give the students a prompt for them. They would have to write their own poems, usually That's- based on like the theme or some yeah. kind of uh, to be in conversation with it. And so it, it's a it's a process that, you know, takes takes time to um, takes time to teach, but also in my case, you know, to, to try to inspire them to, to write their own original literature. Right. Well, I'm realizing I do none of the legwork that I should. Because as soon as you said metaphor <laughs> like, oh. and symbol and simile, I was like, oh, shit, those are words I probably should have used. And then when you're like, and I know about the author, I'm like, oh, I can't just go into this blind and like, let's figure it out together. <laughs> oh, man, Craig. All right. I'm learning a lot. I think it's awesome, though, that you have your students engage with the work have you seen so as i teach like uh, just a physical science class on climate change and i'm always interested every year in my students attitudes about climate change have you changed any have you seen any themes in your students attitudes toward i mean all of our students were sort of born into this world right um and i'm just wondering or if there have been any moments where you're like yes this is amazing i don't i don't know it's I think it's a different just different feedback yeah you know for me one moment that comes to mind was was being in my uh, environmental poetry class and we were uh, discussing disaster poetry and I think in that year was uh, there were a couple storms that hit the Pacific and the Philippines and so we were reading poetry that came out of of those disasters Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden it started pouring down rain. Uh, we got flood alert warnings on our cell phones, like everyone at the same time. And we were just seeing like the rain coming down 
the floodwaters were kind of entering into like the classroom, not the classroom itself, but the building sure. ground floor. And it was just that moment being in class and, you know, having this extreme weather basically interrupt our class, um, you know, where I kind of knew it was like, all right, I need to keep teaching this because if I'm feeling, you know, a lot of anxiety right now, I'm sure the mm. students are, are feeling it even worse. And I want to create this space in my classroom where they can write about these topics. They may not, you know, understand the science or the data, but they can tap into their feelings and, and write about that. And, you know, through literature, perhaps they can then uh, further develop a, a kind of environmental literacy. And perhaps we can see poetry and, and literature as a creative form of, of climate communication. And so that's kind of like where the class has been developing over the past couple of years. And just thinking about, uh, you know, the students really are, are becoming witness to climate change uh, every day. And so trying to create a space for them to express themselves has, has been important to me. I mean, yeah, it sounds like your class serves so many purposes. It helps students deal with their anxieties, but also you're sort of like forcing this written history to be found mm -hmm. later that these students are bearing witness to, right? Which is really awesome. Um, so this, you've answered this already, but we always ask, what skills do you use for your job that people who are like, I like writing, I care about the environment, what 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 do you have advice for them or what skills they should work on or what they could do well definitely for me i, I want to always encourage people uh, to write you know I, I believe that that everyone has a poet inside of them uh, and and everyone has a creative artistic self and so you know even you know for for scientists you know it'd be great for for all of you to uh, give yourself permission to be creative in an artistic way and to create time in your busy lives um, to make art, to write poetry, to uh, you know engage with, with film and so on. And I think to me that really helps the climate movement at large because as we've seen, it's it's not just about presenting presenting data. But it's, it's also not about, at all about that, arguably. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's true. It's yeah. so much about like telling stories yeah. and being, you know, creatively expressing ourselves. And I always love seeing like the climate marches and seeing all the artwork that, yes. that accompanies it and seeing people, you know, reciting poems or singing songs about the environment and and other things that really inspires me. And I think, you know, what we call the environmental humanities can really help inspire the movement and continue to uh, give us strength as we as we fight, uh, you know, to to yeah. to protect the things that we love and the places that we love. Definitely I mean, need that inspiration. Arguably, Definitely. if the environmental humanities existed thirty years ago, we probably wouldn't have had this like <laughs> awful situation where we're in, where scientists weren't like we're not allowed to be political. Also, we can't communicate. I mean, I think one of the things we're seeing, Rachel, I think, is like communication yeah. is so key. I, I know in I feel all like fields. You, yeah. yeah all, I think you have a question for uh, Craig, Rachel, but then I want to ask him about your hot writing tip and see what his feedback is on 
Oh my god. <laughs> yeah. Oh no, no. No, he does not need a tip from yeah. me. <laughs> I need all yeah. the hot writing that I can get. <laughs> that I've never used and doesn't work. Anyway. Um yeah. <laughs> I also I think that Steph and I should write a climate poem after this. Yes. That's oh, what I think. Yes. Craig will send it to you yeah. and honestly critique it. Yes, please. Also, like, uh. <laughs> the other thing is, Craig, we don't know enough for it to be informed by anything real. We can't be like, this is an illusion. We, I, like stanzas, I remember the words iambic pentameter. A- oh, yeah. <laughs> it's an I am. A B B A. I took a poetry class once. So. Yeah. And how <laughs> um, did it go? I really liked it. Oh, nice. Yeah. It was in high school. So it was kind of a while ago. I think I would, probably would have liked it a lot more if like, it was environmental poetry. I think yes, that's, yes. yeah. If it was like a topic I felt very strongly about. Um, anyway, uh, <laughs> sorry, like, ah, um, what, could you talk us through like what your creative process is when you do write, when you do find that time to write poetry? Are you... I'm sure it's like after bedtime, but before grading time. <laughs> but is it, I mean, how many... I'm, I mean, the writing that I do is very, very different than this. It is a terrible first draft, and then I edit, 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 mm. edit over the course of months. So is that... Is it similar? Are you editing a lot? Are you just looking for inspiration? Yes, my process is similar. Usually I'll, I'll have a, a subject that I want to write about, um, glaciers, for example. And then I'll, I'll just free write, you know, just let it flow in my journal, whatever comes out without being too judgmental or rational. Mm-hmm. Um, just kind of want to get the words going. And that's kind of the, the space of discovery for me where I, I you know, come up with whatever images or metaphors or, or narrative that's the, the poem might convey and then I'll forget about it for like a couple days um, mm-hmm. and then I'll come <laughs> back to it and, and read it with fresh eyes and, and then I'll actually handwrite another draft and so uh, I find that handwriting really helps me to slow down mm-hmm. and if there's like a line that's really terrible or cliche my body literally will not want to write it oh, uh, to rewrite it again for the next draft and so <laughs> that kind of that helps and then finally probably the third draft is when i actually type it up and then once i type it i'll, I'll revise some more and and then i'll do a similar thing where i'll, I'll put it away for a couple of days and come back to it fresh and do another revision on on the computer and do you are you reading it out loud to yourself a lot like throughout this yeah i was about to say that too i was that's and i'm always reading it aloud to hear how it sounds and Sometimes I could hear if like the syntax is off when I'm reading it or if, you know, there's maybe too much rhyme. I could hear it better than I can see it. And so that sure. also helps. And, you know, so I'll keep reading it silently and keep reading it aloud and, and keep doing revisions every every couple of days. But you put it away for a few days. You're like, I'm not going to look at it. And then you come back to it. That's yeah. a hot writing tip. Can yeah. I share with you Rachel's hot writing tip? Which yes. won't work for you, Craig. It's not going to work. You <laughs> it's not going to work for anybody. I'm I so might embarrassed. Try it. <laughs> well, I'm no, curious. I'm making fun I'm of curious. Rachel because she came on and she was like, I have a great writing tip. 
And then later she's like, by the way, I've never used I've it. I've never done it. <laughs> <laughs> but it's a tip that was told to me and it sounded cool. <laughs> but this wouldn't work for you, Craig, because you handwrite. But basically she was told, put your font in whites and just type. But I think that gets to your Whoa, free writing. I think that gets to That's right. You it can't actually, even see it. I think there's something in there because you were saying, because then you're not judgmental yeah, and you're free writing way. and you can't see it. I think uh, it's more of a hot tip than we think that I'm I pretending mean, I, it is. I would I'm, imagine I'm going to test a, that out. I'm going to oh. test that out. Oh. Will you okay, let us let know us how know, it goes. Neither of us have. Just and feel free, to, feel free to be like, that didn't work. <laughs> <laughs> that was terrible. I just want to have that moment where I'm like, I'm done. It's been like 15 minutes of writing or typing. And then I highlight to make yeah. it a, a black font. And I'm just like, I want to have the moment I could see the word. Yeah. Um, Maybe... Craig, did we just give you an in-class activity? <laughs> I think so. I think so. Credit me. <laughs> I will. I will. Um, Great. Craig, before we ask you to read a poem for us, because I we will butcher it, can I ask you a question as someone who just had a child? I'm, I'm like, whatever. I, as a climate scientist, I just had a kid, and it scares the shit out of me to have brought a child into this world. But I hear from people like you who also understand what's going on and have kids as well. And maybe they'll just like fight the good fight. But do you put some of that anxiety in your poems too? Or, and how do you address this? Like, I feel like there's this dichotomy between like, <laughs> I love, I mean, I love my child and I want him to succeed, but I'm also a little uh, afraid of what we did. <laughs> Not he's great, but the world, you know? Yeah, I definitely can relate. Um, my first daughter was born in, in 2014, and it was it was right around the time of the, the Paris climate talks. And, or at least for me, I was becoming more aware of, of climate change. And, you know, so, so having that happen and having a newborn at the same time <clears throat> was really stressful. And, you know, that's when I started writing poems of uh, uh, being a new parent, but being a new parent in a time of climate change. And so that was like the topic I was writing about for, for years until uh, a few years ago, I had enough poems to put together a book. And so that book is, is titled Habitat Threshold. And it was just published last year. And it's basically a, co a collection of, of eco poetry. And probably half of the poems feature my daughter <laughs> oh. in them. Yeah. And, you know, thinking through these issues that you're talking about is how do we raise our children during these difficult times? What kind of planet are, are they inheriting? And how is how are they also interacting with the world? Um, you know, how can we kind of nourish their sense of, of wonder and awe that they experience, you know, seeing like coral for the first time or seeing uh, elephants for the first time? You know, how do we nurture that knowing that we will also have to tell them, you know, the truth about about extinction and about, you know, ocean acidification yeah. and about why it's why every year on her birthday, it's the hottest year in history. Wow, and it's yeah. been like that for the past seven years. Yep. And so I put that all into my poems and into this this book that just came out. Well, and I so, will read this book. Yeah. Yeah, but it's definitely, you know, thinking about what, what our role as, as parents are and and thinking about, you know, 
children in this time, which of course represent uh, you know, kind of the vulnerable yet hopeful future. Uh, you know, how can we kind of give them the tools that they'll need to to continue to to fight and of course to you know being so inspired by the youth climate movement right now and knowing that there there are spaces for them to to join and there are amazing educators k through 12 that are you know incorporating more climate change mm. curriculum and are really focused on instilling environmental literacy from a young age yeah i love that they're I, right, as sort of as Rachel was saying, this didn't; these fields didn't exist when we were in school, right? And it's awesome that you sort of are one of the people forging the way and like creating this field. And you came on our podcast, so yeah. <laughs> but you're also giving people a voice. I don't know what you're doing yeah. is so important. I think. Yeah. Um, will you read one of your poems for us? You sure. can say no. Yes. <laughs> Thank you for asking. Well, I'll read the, the poem we mentioned earlier, Love in a Time of Climate Change. And it's a, what I call a recycling of Pablo Neruda's famous love sonnet, Sonnet 17. I don't love you as if you were rare earth metals, conflict diamonds, or reserves of crude oil that cause war. I love you as one loves the most vulnerable species urgently between the habitat and its loss. I love you as one loves the last seed saved within a vault, gestating the heritage of our roots. And thanks to your body, the taste that ripens from its fruit still lives sweetly on my tongue. I love you without knowing how or when this world will end. I love you organically without pesticides. I love you like this because we'll only survive in the nitrogen-rich compost of our embrace. So close that your emissions of carbon are mine. So close that your sea rises with my heat. I thank you. That was amazing. That's beautiful, thank you. fully realizing I should make my students read it out loud in class. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was fantastic. Craig, is there anything we didn't cover that you want us to cover before asking if you have pets and they have an Instagram? <laughs> <laughs> so sorry that that's our last question. <laughs> no, I just, I love this podcast and <clears throat> I appreciate how, how much humor that both of you are, uh, kind of exuding in a way I think it's a really great emotion to tap into to talk about these really heavy issues if and so I, yes if all we, we need would... is a hot writing tip that's that's all <laughs> <laughs> Rachel to keep us accountable along with linking to all of Craig's work and me purchasing his book for my we favorite write. independent publisher yes. we will yeah, we hate Jeff Bezos, or I hate Jeff Bezos. Um, you can say we, that's fine. Yeah, okay, we hate Jeff Bezos. Uh, we will also link to our... We're going to do a, it. Is it going to be a joint attempt? No. Oh, okay, great. Do you know what, Rachel? I got some ideas. For this, for this poem, I'm going to use this writing tip. I'm going to go white words. Okay, on yes. okay. I'll do it too. I've never done it. <laughs> 
Craig, we'll send them to you. And then if you could just give us a like thumbs down, middle thumbs, thumbs up, and now we'll, we'll, we'll let people know. Out of five stars, whatever, whatever ranking Would system. Would we fail Just your say class. whose is better. Really right. it's, it's a competition. Though. Yeah, Rachel is a thousand percent correct in that. <laughs> yes. Well, do you have anything? I mean, we're going to link to all of your books and your poems and but do you have a pet that you would like to plug <laughs> i do not have a pet i do not have instagram but i'm on uh, twitter and oh, facebook we'll put that i'd love to stay connected with your listeners and awesome of course with both of you yeah Craig, yeah so looking much. forward to it yeah thanks so much for joining us thanks so much for having me